Well, we finally had some rain yesterday and today. Not before time for people like myself as enjoy doing a bit of gardening. All the factors, we want plenty of water to keep the canal topped up so as we can use our narrowboats. All trips have been cancelled for the last fortnight because the environment agency have said we can't extract water from the river to keep the canal topped up and they've ceased all boating. Hey, never mind, it's given us a chance to do a bit of work on the canal sides, tidy things up. The wharf where we keep John Varley too had got a bit overgrown and was got a lot of ivy growing down the wall, the retaining wall at the back, so we've had a couple of days work there, chopping back the vegetation, scrubbing up the concrete wharf. Couldn't make it on the second day, I'd got to, well, I did have appointments to have my eyes tested and a meeting I was supposed to be attending. At the last minute, both of them were cancelled, so I could have gone after all, but not to worry. I'd already told them as I wasn't available and they'd managed to work around it. They've sent a photo out this morning of the job done and it does look a lot better. It was well overgrown with ivy and other weeds and bits and pieces. But because the boat isn't working, we weren't going down, taking the boat out, and that was our day. We haven't been able to get on the boat, so we've done the other jobs and kept things tidy. Job well done. I like to think I did my bit last week, so whoever's finished it off, well done, fellas. And lasses, I think, uh, I think some of the, the ladies were down there this week. The boat looked a bit strange this week. We'd had a bit of a problem with it and the the front cover on the on the foredeck had been taken off. There are some bench seats in there for people to sit and enjoy the cruise, but we roll the sides of the front cover up out and let them have fresh air or roll them down to keep them dry if it's raining. But the wooden window surrounding the front of the crash had got damaged and it's all been taken off to be repaired so it's the front deck is wide open now looks a totally different boat but because of the forecast of rain <coughs> cover it up and stop the benches and everything getting exposed to the weather So all we've got to do now is wait for a bit more rain to top the river up and get the go-ahead to open the floodgate or open the paddles on the floodgate and let water into the canal and we're back in business. I was watching a film last night on the television 
and it was to do with spies and spying. And there was a rendezvous between people, but each side had got their own staff, their own backup watching them. And as one of them walked towards the rendezvous point, he said, tell the people to back off, I can spot them a mile away. And my mind immediately went back to the days when we used to have offices overlooking the market square before the new town hall was all completed and we moved into the new building we had some offices in uh, an older building over the top of what used to be a shop when we moved in the shop was converted and it became one of the offices but two of the offices had got windows overlooking the market square and it was a regular vantage point for the local police when they were doing training sessions. And one day it was a, a female police officer came in and said, can I use your window to watch what's happening in the market square? I said yes, and she said, well, come and have a look at what we're doing, just so as you know, so as I'm not talking here and you haven't got a clue what's happening. So I went and stood near the window so as I could see out, and she said, yes, we've got a suspect down there, a pretend suspect, and he's under observation so that we can watch what he's doing without him knowing. She says, we've got people posted on the market square, watching. And I says, yes, I can see them. She says, what do you mean you can see them? I said, they're there, they stick out a mile, I can see them. But they're, they're just in ordinary civilian clothes, they're, they're, they're just being natural. I said, they're not being natural. I says, there's a guy over there leaning against the wall with one foot up behind him, pressed against the wall, reading a newspaper. I says, the only time I've ever seen that before is in a cheap spy film where somebody's pretending to be undercover. I says, and I have never ever seen anybody anywhere leaning against a wall on a street corner reading a newspaper. Oh, right, she said, yeah. I says, and on the opposite side of the square is a guy looking in a shop window. I said, and he's really studying what's happening inside that shop window. Yeah, I says, but every so often he takes the sly glance round to his side. I said, if he was really doing an observation job, he'd be looking in the reflection in the window, not keep turning his head round, because if somebody is concentrating on what is in the shop window, they look in the shop window and then they walk away. They don't stand there and keep turning their head to see what's going on at the side or behind them. Right. And I said, then you've got one directly opposite us 
who spent an inordinate amount of time getting a cigarette out of his pocket and trying to light it without moving on. He hasn't strolled along and took anything out of his pocket or took the cigarette out of his pocket and kept moving along. He's stood stock still at the side of the set of steps very, very carefully examining what's in his pocket, getting a cigarette packet out, very, very carefully opening the packet and taking a cigarette out and then carefully closing the packet. I said, anybody that is wanting a smoke does it a lot, lot faster than what he's doing. I said, so that's, that's three of your people as are doing the surveillance and I've only been here a few seconds. I don't think she was pleased with me. But that was my immediate reaction. All three of them were like something out of a very cheap 1950s film. Things like the early version of Maygray on the television came to mind. It was so staged and so phony. But that was me. I, I tell it like it is, I'm afraid. Well, last weekend I took Elaine round some of my old haunts. Um, her son is contemplating moving down into the next village to where I grew up. So we spent the part of the afternoon anyway having a trip round the delights of places like Yoxall, Crings Bromley out towards Armitage and that area. I knew more or less within about a hundred yards where her son was going to move so She's got an idea of where he's going to live. I hope I haven't jumped the gun by stealing his thunder so that he's not going to be the one to introduce her to the area, but she had been around there before. We've been within a very few hundred yards of it when we've walked along the canal and done other things around Oribus. I just wasn't sure whether she'd remembered going, so we went and renewed her, refreshed her memory. And refreshed mine, it's a long, long while since I was in that area. But different things came to mind. We went past the outskirts of Yoxall and a little bit of a village green behind the main street there, and I said, oh, I remember doing a, a band display there did a bit of a parade and then a bit of a display with the band on there. A bit further down, came over a bridge. That's the last time I had anything to do with all of the scouts there. I'd come down on a Friday night just to pay a surprise visit to them and they were just getting ready to go camping. So I ended up driving the van with all the camping gear in it over to the site where they were 
putting the tents up. It's a vastly overgrown field now. They couldn't camp in it now, but in those days it had been cropped quite short, quite short grass. I think they had a good weekend. A bit further along, I said, oh yeah, up that little lane there is where the Midland Country Club used to be, Kings Bromley, Midlands Country Club. I don't know whether it's still there, what happened to it in the end, but it was the first place I ever came across Drowsy Maggie, brilliant Birmingham-based folk group. I thought a, thought a great deal of them, they were, they were damn good. Saw them on quite a few occasions, I think I've said before, I bumped into them doing a gig at the Royal Showground. Then they were booked to do a, when Elaine was still at university, they did a, they did a show there the old assembly rooms. Went to see them and had a chat to them. They didn't remember me personally, but as soon as I said I got the album of the Lark, the Lark, uh, what's it called? The Lark in the Morning. They said, oh yeah, that'd be King's Bromley Country Club. <laughs> Good grief. That was about 20 odd years earlier, so what a memory. What a memory. And then I stood there a bit and I thought, oh, is that the only record you sold? <laughs> uh, happy times. So yes, a lot of memories came flooding back, particularly as I was driving around and different, mainly the larger houses, the, the halls and the country houses. I, oh yeah, I used to deliver there. Yes, I delivered there. They delivered there. Yes. Happy times they were. The pay was poor, but I'd got no responsibilities. And once I'd parked the van or parked the car and left the shop, my time was my own. And I thoroughly enjoyed the work. Loved it, really did. But it could have got us into trouble over the years. I know at one time a day the ladders I worked with was... He wasn't a poacher, but if he could get a pheasant, he'd have one. He didn't go out of his way to do anything. But we went round a lot of areas where there were pheasants. We weren't actually on an estate at the time, but we were driving around the little country roads outside the estates or near the estates. So there were pheasants around. And he took it upon himself to put his gun under the front seat of the van so that if we got anywhere close to any and we got the chance, he'd have a pop shot. I think it's far enough into the distant past now to relate the tales without getting into too much trouble. I mean, we were country lads, you did that kind of thing. But this one night we were coming back across the back of Fradley Airfield 
and the van was a transit with doors that slid backwards. They weren't on hinges that opened out, they slid back on runners. So it was easy to keep one door open and have the gun ready just in case. Well, as I was driving along, it was a bit of a frosty night, a bit of ice. And I could see a, a real light in the distance. And as we got closer, I thought, that's not a real light, it's a reflector. And I thought, why is there only one reflector showing? And as we got closer, I could tell that a car had slid off the road and into quite a deep ditch and was lying on its side in the ditch with just its one real light showing. So I thought, well, we'll, we'll stop and see if anybody's all right. So I pulled the van up and I got out so both the doors were open, slid back. And I'd climbed onto the side of this car to try and open the door to see if there was anybody inside. Ironically, just at that moment, a police car pulled up. Oh, he, the policeman got out of the car and I said, do you know about this then? And he, he, he said, yes, we are aware of it. We've just come to have a look. I said, oh, I said we've just come across it. So uh, I was just having a look, make sure there was nobody hurt, nobody inside it. Anyway, this, this policeman wasn't over curious. He wasn't too bothered about anything. And uh, we started chatting to him about what had happened, what we'd been doing. And uh, said, oh, we've been over to deliver to Lucas's canteen. We drop it off at night, then it's not busy. It's ready there for him for the following day. So we do it regular. And I left him chatting with, with Peter while I carefully walked over to the van and said, do I feel like a cigarette? Now I don't smoke. But I was aware that we got a van with the doors wide open and a gun proudly showing underneath the front seat. So with delight I found Pete's cigarettes in the glove box of the van I knew he'd always have some there. Promptly lit a cigarette and shouted over to say, you've left the doors open, the van will be bloody cold when we come back, and shut the doors. Finished chatting to the policeman and drove off at the first opportunity. I mean, the gun was, I, don't, I say it was like, he said it was licensed and was perfectly legal. Wouldn't have been legal to fight it down the side of the road, but that was another issue. Not as he could have hit anything anyway. I've seen him shoot and he, he couldn't hit a damn pheasant at five yards, he really couldn't, but uh, that was Pete. But it all added to the interest of doing what we did. Brighten the evening up. Bit of, uh, bit of tension in the night. But I did it for about, how long was I doing it? About three years. 
I wasn't driving for the three years. I hadn't passed my test when I first started at the shop, but as soon as I had passed my test and proved I wasn't a reckless idiot, I got the use of the van, the use of the car, and thoroughly enjoyed myself. I mean, over the years, Elaine's heard all these stories anyway, but it was interesting to drive around and let her see some of the places where the these things happened. I know she'd been to Wichita Hall. I used to deliver there regular, but something occurred as she managed to get a, a meal at the... I don't know what, how, what sort of place it is now, but they do meals and such like, and we went for a meal at Wichita Hall. Gave me a chance to look around the interior of it. Just around the lower floor and look at the entrance hall and the main, the main hall where they used to hang the flitch of bacon for the competition that anybody that could prove they hadn't fell out with a wife for, I think it was a year and a day, they were entitled to claim this flitch of bacon which is like a, a side of bacon. Flitch is just another name for the, I think it's the rear end of the, the bacon. Well, certainly this weather's limited what I can do with my fishing trips. My favorite place to fish was part of the River Derwent down at Cromford. We used to have the fishing rights to the stretch between Masson Mills down through Cromford Mills and down to the the bridge on the road to Cromford Station. That was when the Willersley Castle was a retreat a religious retreat that was sold off and it changed hands and the organization that bought it wanted to turn it into a bit of a outdoors activity center so they wanted the river for themselves which is a shame they stopped us fishing on it which was a real shame because it was a stretch of water that I thoroughly enjoyed fishing. It was the nearest one on the fishing club's books and it was a delight to be there. Surroundings were good and being on a river gave an extra little delight to fishing. A lot of the other ones round about are lakes and ponds and I've not been able to use those because of uh, the heat and the weather with algae forming and weed forming and one thing or another. Now I find that the roads leading up to them or the little lanes, the, the tracks are being repaired and having work done on them, so they're inaccessible at the moment. So one way and another, I've hardly touched the fishing rods this year, which is a shame. But there's always next time. I'll get some trips in before the season's finished, but just at the moment, it's uh, 
it's difficult to get out and about. I can't work up the same enthusiasm for fishing the lakes as I do for the rivers, but we'll keep trying. I'll get out there and have some fun. The daft part about it is I started off on reservoirs and lakes and now I've found out as I enjoy the rivers, I've drifted away from the reservoirs and lakes. I'll just have to get back into the back into the swing of it. I'm not talking so freely this week. I don't know whether I'm a bit tired or lacking inspiration, but I'm not not talking quickly. I'm not talking as well as I could do. I don't know why. I'll try and sharpen up for next week. But this is, I think this is about number 99 of these chats. Which is ridiculous really when I only said I'd do it for a couple of three weeks just to, to fill out a, a radio show. <laughs> oh dear. What do you let yourself in for? I've often thought that over the, the time I've been around. Look at different things as I've not said no to, really. But I've been like that all my life when I was, I think I was about 16, and I became the secretary of a village bowls club. Then a bit later on I was chairman of a football club. And it's carried on all the way through then. When I was working I was chairman and then branch secretary of the union. I was chairman of the health and safety committee. I was chairman of the joint consultative committee. I was delegate to the union conference. Then outside of work, I co-founded a quiz league. I'm still the chairman of one quiz league and been asked if I'll be the president of it. The things I've got involved with really, <coughs> excuse me. I mean, I'm, I'm also on the committee of the, the local social club. I'm minute secretary for the social club. I'm health and safety rep for the shooting clay pigeon club that I'm a member of. I just can't say no to these things when they crop up. If I'm capable of doing them, I'll join in and do them. For a few years I played a lot of badminton. And for a few years I was treasurer of the club. Collecting subs, paying fees, paying for the hire of the courts, the local leisure centre. To a degree, I'm, I'm not regretting it. I, I enjoyed what I did at the time. But I have slowed down. I must admit I have slowed down. There again, time presses on. And I think with different crises that have come up, 
I've been dealing with some problems only this week to do with the quiz league and the quiz teams as I play for. We're the different places that we compete with and compete for are feeling the squeeze of these huge increases in energy bills and the existence of the clubs and pubs is in doubt which means that the existence of the quiz teams is in doubt and the whole quizzing competitions that I've enjoyed for about 45 years now are in danger of collapsing. The number of teams has fallen year by year, fallen drastically from 120-ish when I first started joining in the quiz leagues down to about 20, 25 now. Some of it is down to the teams splitting up, moving away, and others it's down to the fact that the pub no longer exists. And with the, with the costs going up, especially when the quiz teams use a separate room, the different Landlords and people are saying, well, we can't afford to heat the room for you during the winter because gas and electric has gone up so much. It is sad, but unfortunately that's how it's going at the moment. We wait and see what teams say they can compete. We're just going through the process now of contacting teams and saying, do you wish to enter a team next season? Most teams would say, yes, we do, because they've been around for some time. Represented the, the pubs and clubs for quite a while. The lucky ones have managed to get some younger players in and keep going and keep going. Others have got older players as have always been there for 20-odd years, to my knowledge. I know that because I've been there for over 20 years and i played against them. But hopefully we'll find a way, we'll do something to get round it. But it is a problem. You know, we hear on the news that people are suffering... The cost of living is rising and families are struggling. Or well, so are a lot of businesses. Particularly in the provision businesses, the pubs, clubs, restaurants. All they can do is put the prices up to try and retain some form of profit. And unfortunately, if they have to put their prices up, then that just adds to the cost of living that is already going through the roof. Hard times at the moment, I'm afraid. Hard times. But we plod on. <laughs> we don't have an option, really. We struggle on and we see what we can do. Anyway, I don't want to get glum, I don't want to 
cause any sad thoughts, we will soldier on. We will keep the quiz league going. I mean, the Derbyshire League has been going for, I don't know how long, early 1970s probably. And it's still going. As I say, it's dropped from 100-odd clubs down to about 20, but it's still battling on. And certainly the people that I play with have said they want to keep playing. So hopefully the pubs and clubs can provide a venue for us. The Belper League, a mate of mine, Dick Baker and myself, founded that league. We started it off, we set the questions, we ran it and we put it on its feet. The fact is it's still going, I think it's 33 years later now. It's quite frightening. We only formed it because some of the teams on a Wednesday night were getting a bit disillusioned with the way Wednesday's quiz was being run and asked us if we could get one going for a Thursday night, which we did. I mean, that one's altered a bit. When it first started, there was two divisions. Big lot of interest for the first few years. And then, as always happens, it started to to wind down and wind down. There's only about eight teams left now, but they're keen enough to want to compete and keep a competition going. We've got people who are volunteering to set the questions. So it can't be bad. We keep plodding on. Anyway, my time is up. I've done me, me time. In fact, I've gone over me time because I've been hesitating and not talking so clearly this time. I need a rest, I think. But I'll be here again next week. As I say, I think that's chat one hundred. <laughs> oh help! Anyway, ten half an hour. Talk to you again soon.